Well, good morning. Let's please stand for the reading of God's Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, and his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and the only, the Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Indeed, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. May he add his blessing to it. You may be seated. Please pray with me again. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, as we now take time to consider these profound words that have been recorded in Scripture by John, I just ask, Lord, that you would bless our time in it, grow us, help us to love you more because of it, and may we see Christ um, for who he is and what he has done. We pray this in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. Well, I am certain... I am certain that many of you in here will have heard the phrase often imitated but never duplicated. I don't know why, but to me, when I hear that phrase, I immediately associate it with one of the culinary world's greatest secret recipes of all time. A delicious golden batter of 11 herbs and spices, deep fried and thrown in a bucket and is what we call finger-licking good. <laughs> yes, it comes from the hands of Harlan David Sanders. He is also better known as the Colonel. It's his own original fried chicken recipe from KFC. And so now that most of you are thinking about lunch and are totally distracted, that's okay. I just think it's so interesting how this recipe has been protected and guarded by Kentucky Fried Chicken. They have spared no expense at keeping it a secret. There are multiple ways this has been done. The first of which is by having a bank vault installed in their local headquarters in Louisville, Kentucky. Inside that vault, which only one person knows the combination to, there is a safe. And inside that safe, so it is said, is the handwritten recipe for the 11 herbs and spices along with vials containing a bit of each spice. So it's locked, it's hidden away, it's under camera and guard at all times. 
If they ever have to move it, which they have a few times, the safe is taken out of the vault and put into a brink truck and taken to a location off-site that no one knows of. To make it even more interesting, KFC, in order to keep it a secret, they've employed two different companies in two different cities responsible for each mixing one half of the 11 herbs and spices. So no one at either location knows what's in the other half. In order to get those things put together, they send it to a third location, mix it together, and then send it out to their brick-and-mortar locations. Now, it's said that there are only two people alive who know the exact recipe. And in order to guard that recipe with the power of the law, those two people have been forced to sign non-disclosure agreements. So it is a complete and total secret. And if you're wondering what that has to do with John's gospel and his prologue, you're going to have to wait, just like you have to wait for lunch. So let's just get a little bit of background into the prologue of John's gospel. Our new sermon series is going to be going through the life of Jesus, and so there's no better place for us to start than John's gospel. Right before our service, I was talking with Dave Cleland for a minute, and he so rightly said, you have one of the most dense and theologically complicated and rich passages in all of Scripture. So we have quite a chore in front of us. We don't have the time to go through all the interesting uh, doctrines and points that could be made here. We could have multiple sermon series spent looking at these opening verses. But because our time is short, I just want to look at one simple thing that is profoundly beautiful. And it has to do with the title that John gives to the Lord Jesus. Now, there are a number of titles he could have chosen. He could have chosen Son of God. He could have chosen Son of Man or Son of David, King of Israel, Lamb of God, Suffering Servant. But John, being considered one of, if not the most Jewish of all four Gospels, chooses a summary title for the Lord Jesus that takes from Old Testament concepts and truths elements of who God is and applies them to Christ. The title he chooses is the Word. And so we need to have kind of our Old Testament thinking caps on. We need to have Old Testament radar on because when he's talking about Jesus as the Word, it's going to bring up rich and deep truths from the Old Testament. And the first connection that's made is very obvious. The first three words of John's gospel are in the beginning. John is taking us all the way back to before time began when Yahweh God Almighty created the heavens and the earth. So if you were a Jewish listener for the first time to John's gospel, your expectation would be for him to say, in the beginning was God. Or in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And everything that comes with that is associated with God's word of power. How in the beginning, when he created all things, he did so by mere speech. 
He didn't have to lift a finger to create anything. He created everything out of nothing by the power of his word. It's a picture of his, his knowledge and his creativity, the majesty that is within him, the, the grandeur of who he is as God most high. And, and for us as Christians, I mean, if you love the Lord, then anytime you go out to somewhere that is just beautiful in creation, you can't help but want to worship him and praise him and recognize the beauty of what he's done. I remember uh, growing up when I was in Boy Scouts, one of the merit badges that I chose to do, uh, it was a pretty rigorous merit badge, was the astronomy one. And I don't know if there's any father more involved in Boy Scouts with their kids other than maybe Will Thomas. Uh, my dad was so committed to helping my brother and I in Boy Scouts. And so for the astrology merit badge, over a six-month span of time, you would have to, two nights a month, go out to the exact same location and every two hours chart the movement of, like, the constellations. And I couldn't drive yet, and so my dad would faithfully wake me up every two hours, and we'd drive down to the uh, football field at the high school, and we'd go out on the 50-yard line, and you'd be staring out at the night sky. And very little light pollution where I grew up, and so you'd be looking out at the sky, and you'd see the Milky Way galaxy strewn across the sky, and you would just be astounded at thinking about how God is the one who spoke it into existence. Well, John doesn't say, in the beginning, God. Instead, John says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And he's talking about Jesus as the creative agent of all things. It brings to light how awesome the second person of the Trinity is in that he was the one who spoke those things into existence along with the Father. I mean, some of the theological truths that we can't really delve into but are present here are things like God's aseity, that he, he doesn't need anything outside of himself. But you also have the divinity of Christ. You have the picture of the Trinity in which he's side by side and face to face with the Father. But he is also God Almighty. And so the first connection that's being made is really the word and creation. He has the power to create with his word and now the word is here. But there's a second element that we can look at. Another facet of this idea of the word of God and it relates to verses 4 and 5. Now, if, if you were reading John's gospel for the very first time and you didn't know any of the rest of it, you might want to associate verses 4 and 5 with creation. Look at verse 4. It says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. And so, obviously, when you go back to Genesis, what's the very first thing God creates? It's light. He spoke light into existence, and he called the light day, and he called the dark night, evening and morning the first day. But the deeper you go into John's gospel, the more you realize that light, life, and darkness not only have a physical reality attached to them, but there's a moral, spiritual reality that's also being presented. 
And so John in his gospel is going to associate darkness and death and decay with the fall. That this world at the fall plunges into sin and death and darkness. And God's word needs to come to deliver his people. And so the word is associated with deliverance. All throughout the Old Testament, this can be seen. All throughout the Old Testament, this is understood. And so you have places like in Psalm 119.50, where the psalmist says, This is my comfort in my affliction, that your words and your promise give me life. Or in Psalm 107, verse 20, when the Israelites are suffering from some sort of illness and destruction, the psalmist writes, The Lord, he sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Perhaps the greatest picture of this is seen in the book of Exodus when Moses comes to the burning bush. When he comes to the burning bush and out of the fire, the Lord speaks. And he says, I've seen the plight of my people. I've heard their prayer. I know their suffering. And I'm going to take them out of the darkness of Egypt. I'm going to deliver them from that place. And I'm going to bring them to a land that is flowing with milk and honey. So it's this, it's this picture of his deliverance and bringing them into a place that is full of life and goodness. And John is saying here that in him, the word was life, and that life was the light of men. Well, if you go back after reading John once, you're going to start remembering some of the things that Jesus said about himself. Things like in John 10 when he says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Or in John 14, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He also says in John 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Or in John 11, when Lazarus has died and Jesus goes and raises him from the dead, he says, I am the resurrection, and the life. He came to bring deliverance from the darkness of sin and death. It's absolutely incredible and beautiful because what John is doing, each time you read it, each time you go through this gospel, you're pulling back layer after layer after layer to see who Christ really is. And it magnifies him. And it causes you to want to worship him more. And so John really, he saves the best for last in verse 14 of our passage. When he says the word, that same word that's associated with creation and with deliverance, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This is a statement in which we see God is disclosing who he is in his entirety through the person of Jesus Christ. Chris did such a good job in the confession of faith where he was talking about how the Lord reveals his glory 
and the mouth of the Lord has spoken. It's in the person of Jesus Christ that the glory of God is put on display for us to know and to see and to experience. He, he is a tangible and real person that we can engage with, that we can come to know and to love. And so the word of God or the word is related with revelation about who he is. So if we go back, putting on our Old Testament radar, we go back into the Old Testament, we see time and time and time again how God reveals who he is by speaking and engaging in relationship with his people. He's spoken through the law. He has spoken through the prophets. He has spoken through uh, the actions and the things that he has done on behalf of his people. And now he's disclosing himself. He is not this God who is far off or um, distant from us. He's not an ethereal being who doesn't want to be known by his people. He's not, you know, going back, how does KFC relate? He and the Trinity, they didn't sign non-disclosure agreements saying we don't want mankind to know who we are. He has gone to great lengths and to the greatest of expenses to make himself known by sending us his son. So John says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. And so one of the ways in the Old Testament where this is maybe best seen, because it, it is important to understand, in the Old Testament, the full picture is not seen. And even now, we're still waiting for that final day of glory where, where the fullness of the fullness of the fullness of God's glory will be seen. But in the Old Testament, it couldn't be seen. And you have an incident in Exodus 32, 33, and 34. If you remember, you have the golden calf, the people sin. God removes his presence from the midst of the people. He tells Moses, take the tabernacle, set it up outside of the camp. I'm no longer going to dwell in their midst. And Moses goes and he intercedes on behalf of the people and he asks the Lord to return and the Lord does so and the tabernacles move back. And then Moses on Mount Sinai somehow drums up the courage to ask God to show him his glory. He says, let me see your glory. And the Lord responds to Moses and says, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, Yahweh, in your presence. But you may not see my face, for no one may see me and live. And so then the Lord hides Moses in the cleft of the rock. The Moses and the Lord does come, and he passes by Moses, but he covers Moses' face with his hand, and then he removes it so that Moses may see his back but he doesn't get the full glimpse of glory. What is it that John says immediately after when he says that the word of the Lord became flesh and dwelt among us? He says, we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. The author of Hebrews puts it like this. He says that Jesus is the radiance of the, of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. 
He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says, For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He also says in Colossians, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So friends, we have a God who wants to be known by us. And he has made it so that we can know him. He's revealed himself through the word. And the word is Jesus Christ. And what's so profoundly sad in one sense is the way that the world responded to his arrival. In verses 10 and 11, we see that he was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. You know, it's, it's almost so uh, incredible and mind-blowing to see these pictures of Jesus from the Old Testament brought into the New that you, you wonder, and maybe even a little bit, at least I do, a little bit judge, like how could they not know? But when you're in darkness and in sin, of course you don't see it. But this is the gospel, verse 12. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. So, one application that we can take from this is that if you do not know him, if you've not put your faith in him, if you have not believed in him, now is a great time to do so because in him alone is light and life. And he offers himself freely to us. We just need to believe. But a final application, an application to those of us who do know him and do love him, I think it's both convicting and encouraging. You know, we are, we're seven days, so today is January 7th, we're seven days into a new year. I'm sure many of you have already seen some of the funny memes and jokes going around online about people giving up on their New Year's resolutions, haven't even made it a full week. Some of you might be like me and have also done that, although I've kind of given up on giving up on New Year's resolutions, I just don't make them anymore. Um, but you know, why is it that it's so easy to give up so quickly? It's because you love the former thing more than what you want to see changed. And that is so true when it comes to our sin. The reason we return time and time again to, to the ways in which we sin is because we oftentimes love our sin more than we do our Savior. And the way that that can change is by having a greater love and affection for the Lord Jesus Christ. The more our view and vision of him is expanded and grows, the more we see him as he reveals himself to us in his word, the more we stir up our hearts in love and commitment to him, and the greater he becomes the less we are going to want to pursue those things. Thomas Chalmers, a Puritan, wrote a sermon called The Power of, 
the expulsive power of a new affection, he has this wonderful quote. He says, we know of no other way by which to keep the love of the world out of our heart than to keep in our hearts the love of God. And there's no other way by which to keep our hearts in the love of God than building ourselves up on our most holy faith. If you want to see change in your life, the greatest way to do that is by falling more in love with Jesus, engaging with him in a real relationship. That is why he sent his son, and that is why now his spirit comes and dwells in us, so that he is not far off, but he is always near. And so, you know, in 2024, we don't read our Bibles just to check the box on a reading plan, or we don't come to church because that is like the conservatively appropriate thing that we should do, or we don't go to the Lord in prayer only when we need something from him, but it is all relationally driven. We open up the pages of the word of God because that is where we get to meet with him and get to know him and are encouraged by him and understand what it is he would have us do, right? We gather together as a body of believers, as brothers and sisters, because when we are together, we see the work that Christ is doing in each other's lives and we are spurred on and we are encouraged and we are edified. Or we get the opportunity to engage with one another and help each other in the midst of our difficulties. The word of God, the word, Christ Jesus himself is the one who created all things. He's the one who delivers us from our sin. And he has made himself known by taking on the flesh of man to come and dwell with us. A big, a big vision of Jesus is seen through reading John's opening prologue over and over again. And I think some of the best words that can summarize it for us are what we'll sing during the bread this morning. Just listen to these words. Thou who was rich beyond all splendor, all for love's sake becamest poor. Thrones for a manger he did surrender, sapphire paved courts for a stable floor. Thou who art God beyond all praising, all for love's sake, becamest man. Stooping so low, but sinners raising heavenward by thine eternal plan. Thou who art love beyond all telling. Savior and King, we worship thee. Emmanuel within us dwelling. Make us what, we wouldst ha what you would have us be. He says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Let that be our goal in this new year. Pray with me. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ and for the gospel that John has laid forth. As we spend this spring season in our sermons looking at the life of Christ, may we love you more. And may we grow to be more and more and more like him. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.